0: Welcome to Navigating the Next Normal. I'm Mike Gordon, the CEO of Altus Group. I hope that you and your family are doing well and perhaps even finding a way to prosper in these challenging times. A crisis typically speeds up what was going to happen anyway. After the longest CRE expansion anyone can remember, the COVID-19 pandemic has pushed forward multiple disruptions to business as usual that have been coming for years. The crisis is exposing who was ready for change and who wasn't, especially when it comes to leveraging technology strategically. The winners and losers of the next cycle are being determined by how well companies are positioned to adapt today. This is a great episode. Scott Morey, Executive Director of 111 Advisors and a panel of leading advisors from across the industry really get into the impact of technology, both past and present and discuss why the conversations happening today are creating a call to action the industry has never felt before. It's been more than a decade since the financial crisis during which the hype about prop tech has been nonstop. But has the needle really moved? It's difficult to imagine something in our lives that technology hasn't altered over the course of the past decade. But technology adoption in real estate is still way behind other sectors. With a new crisis at hand, The conversations are different. COVID-19 is proving to be the catalyst needed to transform the talk into action, accelerating the changes that desperately needed to be made. Are we ready to push forward into a new generation of PropTech? Listen to the discussion and find out.
1: Hi, this is Scott Morey of 111 Advisors. We are beyond fortunate today. And I said earlier, this might be better structured as a happy hour. We've got three amazing people that I consider both friends and foes at time, And we might all say that at different periods of the day or different times of the year, but I'm super excited. So Dave Stanford, who's one of the founders of um, Real Foundations. And of course, I think your other title is executive managing consultant. Uh, so Dave, you and I have a long history. I'm thrilled to have you. John DeAngelo, managing director of Deloitte, certainly a pleasure. And of course, we have a long history together. And Tom Awong, that's with uh, Cone Resnick, who's the chief innovation officer. So I, I think we'll get to this at some point, but your role is spans beyond our industry as you've been elevated up in different roles within Cone Resnick. So thank you again for the time. This is under the banner of the um, navigating the next normal. I, I don't even, we're going to talk about what that means. I just know I don't like the current normal. Uh, and I think we all could probably say that. And I'm glad, as far as I know, everyone's families are safe and healthy. So instead of looking forward, I actually want to briefly look back. And and if you look back 10 years ago, of course, the light has changed technically, like, you know, the way the use of the internet and mobility, and there's all kinds of interesting technical trends. But I want to start with how has that really changed real estate? And if you look 10 years from today, like, have we really moved the needle that much? There's been a lot of noise and discussion. We talk about prop tech. And of course, we all try to add a lot of value to our clients. But I want to get thoughts on looking ten years back to today. Like, have we really moved as much as we thought? Like, what's really happened? So, I know, Dave. Do you want to start? Okay. So, looking back ten years, not forward. Yes, we're going to go back ten to, to today. Yeah.
2: I would offer that we have advanced more in the last four or five months than we had in the nine and a half years before that, by absolute cruel necessity, because you know specifically. We've been for a while pushing the ability to work in many different places over distance. And uh, once you can't go to the office, you got to figure that out quickly. And there were a bunch of haves and have nots there. But that just happened because it had to happen. And you know, similarly in residential, I often talk about this concept of an airplane test, being able to get on an airplane, buy an apartment while you're flying and then Move into it when you land, like you do with the hotel. um Similarly, in the this last period, there's a lot of people had to figure that out, or they they couldn't rent anything. Home builders have done that, so I think that the pace has been really, really slow. There's been a lot of talk and kind of hype, but I think what's happened in the last uh say six months is really good for the what the four of us do because. You know, it's been, been viewed by investors, board members, executives, and they all had to face doing this and figuring out that work can happen, outcomes can happen over distance without being in the office. And there's implications for that. Certain property types, for sure.
1: Those are my initial thoughts. Tom, I saw you're nodding your head in there pretty quickly in his first comment. Do, do you want to expand?
3: I work for an accounting firm, and trust me when I tell you that, David, that is exactly what happened. Um, You know, we probably moved more than 10 years in the first 48 hours (laughs) uh, when this all started. So, um, absolutely. I think there was a quick separation uh, from those that were prepared to those that were uh, playing catch-up. So, definitely something that we saw. But it also stressed not just the technology aspects of companies or infrastructure aspects of you know, where people were, how far along kind of your facilities you know strategy you were at and, and how flexible your, your work environment was. It also stressed the sense of community and team. because if you had a corporate culture that was still tied to location, that was still tied to a certain hierarchy of somebody sitting in an office and looking out over a pool of cubes, that really hurt you as well. So it wasn't just a technology shift that occurred, but also really putting uh, into focus what your corporate culture was and how you worked and how you created team and community within your organizations.
1: Those are great points, and thank you for sharing. John, I mean, Deloitte's ginormous, and, and I've seen a bunch of research you guys have published, which has really been interesting. I think you're putting out content on a pretty frequent basis. But, I mean, your view is the same. Like, what what's it like for Deloitte, but equally important, you know, for your client base? Good question, Scott. And and I guess just
4: echoing points that that David and Tama made, um, you know, the if you look back 10 years, so much has happened, you know, since March. Uh, but, you know, listen, there's, there was interesting things that happened. In, you know, our clients moving to the cloud from, you know, wondering if the cloud could be trusted, right? I mean, if you think about, if you think about what well, 2010, we were having conversations that seem so laughable now, um, you know, about how do you keep things secure? So some, some good things happened, but you know, a lot of things just didn't, you know, if you, if you think back to the global financial crisis with, you know, big, um, uh, real estate investment managers that had to scramble to pull together data from, you know, hook and crook to answer investor questions that were coming in fast and furious you know it's like everybody kind of had amnesia for a bunch of years and now those questions are coming in again and they're having the same scramble so the the kinds of things that that we're seeing are are an acceleration of trends that we were following um, which i think is great you know sort of the thinking about uh, process and process automation and, and having processes be not dependent on people being in the same place there's a, a wake-up call that's been kind of fantastic about the importance of that you know because in the absence of something happening you know you kind of wake up and it's never the priority of the day um and and now it's you know been a topic that is you know much more in currency now there's other other things to deal with is is, is a lot of our clients are are having you know, big issues about, you know, are there? Are they blowing debt cabinets and who's going to pay rent? But I think there's kind of a lasting thing as both Tom and David said about, God, do we really need, you know, for ourselves, do we really need people to show up every day? Um, You know, can we work virtually? Can we engage with our residents or shoppers or tenants in a different way that's more consistent with the rest of their digital life? I think those conversations under the heading of, you know, never waste a crisis. Those those conversations and the awareness of those things, I think, are going to have lasting benefits that are going to see a decade from now be very different than um, the, you know, the sort of pace of change from the last decade. Yeah, one thing, Scott, I would add, just I'm
2: excited about is like the world of real estate is going to be more convenient to customers. Um, We're already seeing this with like people going back to college and, you know, having to rent apartments or something. It's actually for the most part suddenly easier less friction and you know i hope to goodness that's going to continue it's it's going to be really hard to take that away from consumers and customers going forward and frankly i think just for all of us in large the world is going to be more convenient there's going to be higher expectations
1: i think there was there was already a trend i used the word an alternative use and initially it was driven like everything is by economics where you had excess capacity. So, you you know, we'd go back. Remember, take when in retail, like temporary tenant income was like zero two decades ago or something, right? Yeah. And carts and kiosks and Simon got in it and it represents collectively, I'm my numbers are off, but five to 8% of those companies' revenue is temporary tenant. Then they came up with pop-ups, which is a more glamorous, shorter term version. You go to office, not a new format, but repackage, right? We would argue with WeWork. You look at Prologis investment in Flex Space or Darkstore or multifamily, where you had whole buildings that were single focus, student housing, conventional housing. I'm spinning stuff now by by unit, right? Within multifamily. So there's this funky individual kind of tactical, more flexibility thing. But there's something else I want to go, Tom, you said before this call when we were trading ideas and you said something that that was incredibly insightful. And I wish I thought of it myself, but you're the language and your words were interesting, smart buildings, to safe buildings, to healthy buildings, to trusted buildings. And and there is this interesting sort of evolution or circular part of that. But as the pendulum like swung way over and we're going to swing back to where we were, like, what's really going to happen? Like, what's, you talk about transparency. We talked about transparency 10 years ago in the last cycle and the thirst for information that was greater than ever, right? But did we solve it?
3: I think of what happened to security after 9-11 is going to be what happens to, say, uh, janitorial services or sanitation after this pandemic. You know, nobody is going to question a cleaning line item uh, on, on, on your balance sheet anymore. It's it's just going to be whatever the cost. We have to do it. Uh, that that was the reaction to security after um, you know after nine eleven. What what it really is is that the technologies that we have put into our smart buildings. At first, we were just connecting things. There wasn't any intelligence built in. We didn't get to smart building. We got to connect a building that was essentially having a monologue with us my door is open, my light is on, I have this many people in here, um, my elevators are fast or slow, whatever those things were. And eventually, we started being able to leverage some of that data to make decisions and to get to more of a dialogue or uh, you know engaging with the data coming off the building. And that was nice to have. It was a nice to have in the industry. I don't think that Uh, The ability to do contact tracing, the ability to understand how many people are in an elevator, how many people are getting up to the floors, where are you coming from, where are you going? Those things are not going to be optional anymore as we go forward because you don't build the trust between the, the tenant or the occupier and the building as well as my fellow occupier. Right? I want to know whether you drove your car into the parking garage and you were the only occupant in that car or whether you came on a crowded subway uh, to this office. And, you know, that trust is something that we have to restore to get people back to work. Um, and it cannot be done, in my opinion, without having the technologies and underlying uh, data to do it.
4: Yeah, it, it's interesting, Tom. I, I think we would still see a bunch of buildings as kind of dumb even if they're censored or connected and just i'm, I'm in violent agreement with you that, that you know the world is minting a lot of germphobes uh right now that that are going to be germphobes for you know sometime to come so as you think about uh energy star rating for a building right so think about you know trust rating right is it is it a, is it a clean place to work is it a safe place to work um you know can I feel good about going into it and, and I don't need to worry about all the protocols as long as there's a stamp that says this is a building I can trust. Um, I think is going to be a big marketing thing and it's interesting in talking to, you know, some big office owner operators. I, I don't think that's completely sunk in yet. I don't know that they, not to out anybody, but I'm not sure that they all get it yet, but that's, it's, it's not going to be something that they can, it's going to be sort of as cute as ESG seemed like, you know, from the, Energy level a decade ago when that seemed like it was optional. Um, you know, we'll look back and, and realize anybody that thought this was an optional thing was, was wrong. But I'm just, I'm astounded by how little sensor data for people that have sensors, how little that data is being leveraged. Um, you know, you really understand what's happening in a building or how to optimize the way a building works. Um, for a lot of, of, of companies, it's just data exhaust now.
3: Well, I think we got really good at collecting it, John. Um, We got really, really focused on collecting, you know, a lot of it. But, uh, you know, it's uh, gaining the insights and actually understanding what to do with it. That's something we haven't gotten to.
1: I wonder where legal plays into this. I I, I won't say what city, but I was part of a call with a bunch of office building owners. And they were talking about six weeks ago and they were talking about what they should do as they open up these offices and what they felt. Was the right thing to do? What they felt obligated to do, and then what their legal risks were. And at the end of the day, the legal risks won, and the guidelines in the broader marketplace are pretty minimum, in my opinion. That, that might be a political question or statement, but not meant to be. And so they're doing the minimum. And it's interesting because I think you're right, John, on the trusted and thought about the trusted building rating thing. But I, I, I think there's something really there actually. But it's counter to that, right? And I guess. Those that get it and have the capital or the cash, like always, right? When money buys in a way, right? They'll figure it out and they'll take, if it's viewed as a risk, whether it's real or not, and and create demand. Is that fair, you think? Yeah. Listen, it's interesting that it's not all figured out now and that there is
4: a very broad spectrum from we open the doors, you know, so you're welcome to come in, to... You know, we're really going to control like the experience from you know who comes in, how they get on an elevator, how they get to a floor, and, and in some cases the you know the the lawyers win, but in some cases common sense is prevailing. As an operator of a multi tenant office building, we've got a big role to play. Although I got to tell you, sorry, this is going to this is self deprecating or embarrassing you know, in in March or April, I was thinking we've got to get to market to, you know, figure out a way to help get people back into office buildings. And it's just, I'm, I'm laughing at myself now, because it just, it seems like it's going to be 10 to 15% occupancy, you know, until there's a precipitous drop in cases or, and, or a vaccine, probably a vaccine. I mean, we're not going to see people showing up in in big numbers to office buildings until it's okay. So, you know, The the protocols that are in place are probably, it's probably okay for, you know, 10 to
1: 15% occupancy. And what do you think, Dave? Let me go to you on the capital side. I mean, usually in cycles like this, we start to see movement. The CMBS market's being propped, in my opinion. It's all good, right, in the scheme of things, which is, it's good for people and everything else. Mm -hmm. There's been no transactions. I remember Zelle going back a couple of months. There's no way to price anything because no one's done anything to price anything. Yeah. Because everyone believes at some level things should be discounted. Now that excludes hospitality and retail, sort of its own unique category. But we've not seen a lot of enterprise level transactions, right? We're seeing some bankruptcies or threats of them on retail. But I mean, you've been through a couple of these cycles, and I was jealous of you in the early '90s when you were part of the RTC cycle. But what what are your thoughts? Well, on the investor
2: landlord side, I think it's still too early um, because there's just so much uncertainty, and you know the Fed and Different central governments have just continued to print money to, uh, make it okay. So that's one thing we are seeing retailer bankruptcies. We're probably up to 50 now. And that's going to, there's going to be some price to pay there for the, for the retail sector. And a lot of those are not going to come back. Um, and there, frankly the, the one really shining light and sector, new sector that's passed the test and nobody knew if it would was single family rental. And it's, you know, it's quite small, but during this period of time, uh, you saw a core open-ended fund make a very large capital commitment to single family build to rent, which even two or three years ago would have sounded crazy. I heard it. And it certainly got our attention then. Single family rental is past the test, blind colors. Residential is doing okay for now, pretty strong, but you know, there is a, there's a mountain of angst behind that based on, you know, the assistance payments. And we haven't seen, you know, most of our clients are doing sort of smaller transactions, but we don't see a lot of entity level deals at all yet. I think that, uh, is going to take probably late fourth quarter, early, 2021 to see any sizable deals. That's just kind of what we're, we're planning on. I would love to be doing distress work, but there's not a lot of distress right now, except on the retailer bankruptcy side.
1: You know, it's interesting on the retail side, you look at the the malls that were so dominant and they're not so dominant, right? Uh, and that was even the A guys and the open shopping center guys are going to come out strong, right. And been performing and they've got their own challenges. Uh, And then office, everyone going back, John, to your point and Thomas is everyone's actually is no one knows where it's going to come out. You've got doomsdayers and then you've got people saying in a year it's going to it's we're going to be back to where we were. And probably the reality is it's somewhere in that continuum. Right.
3: You're seeing a bit of a I don't want to call it an identity crisis, but the labels we've used, we might have to revisit them because, you know, a little bit about what David was talking about. the. Um, hospitality, right? If if you're a uh, urban university trying to bring students back, and your triples have to turn into singles, your student housing is now the Airbnb is now the hotel that you can rent out for the school year. So our hospitality units are now student housing units. Um, our residential is 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 now hospitality. These labels that we've given these assets, we're going to have to become much more flexible. You're looking at anchor stores going vacant in cities now converting to flex office space because we need more of it. Industrial is the new retail. I mean, everything is getting delivered. So that is something that, whether it's from the investment side, whether it's from the data collection side, whether it is in terms of the technologies that we use to support these, we're going to have to really become much more flexible.
2: Yeah, especially on the technology thing, because in the residential space, so we're seeing home builders that are building single family rentals and some of them intend to manage them and are home builders that are very large multifamily, both developers and operators now, and just going back to the core technology platforms of the past, those things are not effective for these new asset classes. And then we have single family rental companies becoming home builders. And now up in Canada, there's a company that has announced that, uh, they're just a rental housing platform. They go sort of across types of product. They have single family, multifamily, and they build stuff too, and they sell it. So Tom, to your point that has implications on the operating model, on the talent, on the ability to control and report and, you know, have a handle and It's also and I've talked to a few securities analysts, read analysts about this, it's very confusing for the the analyst community because they want direct specialization
1: and now those lines being blurred is asking, you know, lots of questions. Going back to John's point, I think everyone kinda said it, but you know, we're seeing the acceleration of existing Trends. So you take, especially the retail was doing a lot of multifamily or office. You could last three years as they, you know, they started taking a beating in 2017 ish, right? It was when that really kind of got even harsher. It's interesting. But John, the question I have for you is around this shift in diversity, right? Because for a long time, you're right, Dave, like in the public markets, Vernado was the only one that was ever like mixed use and they loved them. And everyone else, they wanted you to be pure. And now it, it's crossed. So one is around the operating models. You tend to outsource when you're a new. Functional areas, or asset types, or geographies, but then, like, where do we stand, John? Your view, like, prop tech and technology investment, and is it catching up? Can it? Do we have a huge new gap as a result of this? Like, what do you what are you thinking?
4: Yeah, prop tech such a it's such a funny thing, right? It's um, the industry <laughs> the industry can support some fraction of of the investments and in startups that we're seeing going into prop tech. So, I mean the the I, I got to tell you, Scott, the the thing that is frustrating to a bunch of our clients is is trying to make sense of you know who to pay attention to, and and what to adopt, and and how to have. It's almost like they're all having to be, you know, kind of not not BCS thinking about a funnel, but you know the the like comma the the innovation title is is coming to the in in a big way, and it's coming to the industry in a big way. I think just to make sense of some of this. So, it, listen, at some level, i'm I'm excited and energized by it at some level, I'm now like a grumpy mid fifty year old, you know wanting it to be less exuberant. Um, so I think there is a lot that is that is going to be long-term beneficial. Um, I think in the in the times that we're in now, there's I think there's going to be a healthy requirement to focus on on what's going to succeed. So ideally, what happens is, over the near term, midterm, there's sort of a calling of the herd of the things that, that have made sense and that will make sense and that will survive.
1: I mean, the list has gotten, you think about all the money that's gone out. And Dave, I go back in, in the old EYKL and then when Real Foundation started, and you guys were tracking 300 startups in 2000, which then was crazy, right? right? I remember that chart vividly. I've used it actually, by the way, but I give you credit. Uh-huh. And now we're guessing in North America, there were 3,000 globally. We don't really know. Right. But but I guess most of us can maybe name a dozen and out of that maybe half a dozen that we think has value. And then we have less choice than the traditional players anyway. There's less property counting ERP solutions, except for multifamily, right? You're seeing some emergence. But to me, there just seems like there's less choice. Like with all this money yet, we have less choice. Do you guys agree with that statement or or am I wrong in my interpretation?
2: Uh yeah, it's complicated for the core basic blocking and tackling. I think there is less choice. There's certainly been less innovation. You know, MRI and Guardi are still doing good things. Entrada is sort of pushing limits. RealPage is breaking into new territory. You know, they continue to try to access the commercial market and the investment market. But the at the top end, I'll let D'Angelo talk more about the corporate occupier market. Um, we have more choice in the sort of development world. There's a couple of actual prop tech startups that are making a difference there. But a lot of the sort of the core controlling applications are getting pretty long in the tooth. Um, there's two or three on the horizon that, you know, hopefully will uh, uh, make some noise. And then it, that, that complicates our clients' lives, y'all's clients' lives, by having to figure out all of this new stuff to connect to the old stuff that doesn't want to be connected. Um, So there's talk about APIs and being open and, you know, there's a lot of mystery behind that. And frankly, there's some naivete with the prop tech vendors of thinking that all that stuff exists on the other side because they're trying to do the right thing and they're open they want to integrate. But, you know, many times they're met with this hard wall and the owners and operators are suffering from that. John, I don't know what you're seeing on the sort of the corporate side.
4: Yeah, listen, I think it's I think it's a similar story, that there are some platforms that are that are long in the tooth and and there's a bunch of of, of giant occupiers that are still trying to make sense of of their data. Thinking about the question about operating model or operations, I think the the thing that's probably more promising is people really thinking about what work they need to perform themselves. And you know, the, the maturation of, of service providers who have embraced the, whether they wanted to or not, have had to embrace the complexities and differences about real estate and real assets. Um, you know, it, and even on the, on the corporate occupier side, right? So one of the things that, that I think is really great. If you, if you go back to the question at the top of the call about what's changed in the last decade, it is there are so many more choices and there's so much less pioneering to do. And, you know, when, when I decide, you know, do I really have to do this myself? Can I just write a check for somebody to do this? The answer is, now. yeah, you, you can write a check. And those people know something about real estate. And-
2: From a sourcing standpoint, right. Exactly. That's true.
4: So it's a different question than you than you lobbed over to me, David. But it made me think about the, the maturation of service providers to corporate occupiers.
2: Yeah. And, and
4: how how that's come along and it continues to come along. And there's still a bunch of, you know, first generation outsources. And we think that
2: that trend is going to accelerate because now everybody's now seeing that outcomes and business is happening without being able to look over the cubes. So there, I think there's a there's a mental model that we're going to pass over now um, where I think 10 years from the future. There's going to be more specialization and more specialty outsourcing.
3: I think what what we're moving away from, in my mind, is uh, procuring technologies, uh, especially monolithic ERP technologies. And what we're moving towards is procuring packaged business capabilities. Okay, And when you do that, you have certain processes or business capabilities that, that are horizontal. Every business needs them. It is not a real estate-specific function. And then there are other ones where you absolutely want to make sure that you get get someone who understands your business, not just real estate as your business, but, you know, whether it is residential, whether it's retail, whether it's office, whether it's domestic, whether it's international, whether it includes the investment management side, um, et cetera, et cetera. So we've seen tech companies now – becoming tech companies with services. I think, uh, Scott, you work for one, for example, right? You're packaging this as a business capability. We've also seen service companies starting to come to the market with their own technology platforms to sell a packaged business capability. And that's what I absolutely believe the future is going to be here, that companies need to stay nimble and agile. They don't know what they're going to invest in or divest from. We don't know what the next normal is going to look like. And the best way to do that now is to create this composable enterprise where we can go and, you know, like Lego blocks, go and get the pieces that we don't have or don't need or shouldn't have um, and build the things that are, that are you know, not commoditized, that add to our uh, value from a differentiation perspective, and those things we're going to hold dear. But that truly is where the lines between a tech company and a service company are going to start blurring um, and we're going to get focused on business capabilities.
1: Which really, I was thinking of, we were, you know, the four of us assemble puzzles for a living in a way. Right. So I was using different than blocks, but I think you're totally right. But then I'm like, man, we need some new glue. (laughs) Cause the environment's even going to get more complicated and the demands up, but it's harder to get. And even more harder kind of under that model today, maybe, or I'm, I just don't see it yet. Right. Is that, Dave, you're your head. Is that fair? I, th- I the think way?
2: so. I mean, if you look at it, all of the, this prop tech and most of real estate is driven by the concept of this simple thing called lease <laughs> and he who controls the lease is the, you know, is the keeper of a lot of dark secrets and the legacy companies that are, that are, have applications that control that want to, want to continue that. Uh, but. You know, in the in the world of of componentization that Thomas suggested, that's a at some point, that's a wake up call to the legacy players because um, they're going to have to act and behave differently. And I think we got a ways to go there.
4: Yeah, Tom, it's interesting. You talk about Lego blocks and, you know, thinking about what, you know, what is important or where you add value. It's surprising to me. If I think back in and, and David and, and Scott Union me when I was, you know, a young butt consultant, um, with no great started hair.
2: when you were like 14, right? Yes, exactly. Something like <laughs> <We> that. <while did.
4: laughs> you know, but, but then I, I thought, you know, boy, the, the CEO and the COO, you know, the, you, you think, well, they've got it all figured out. And then, and then you start having conversations. You, you, you progress in your career and you start having conversations with them and you realize they don't all have it all figured out and one of the things that amazes me is how common it is that the the senior leadership of a company haven't stopped and thought about you know what is it that we do that, that's really important what 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 really adds value what are the things that you know the are the most valuable activities for us to do and what are the things that are you know kind of commodity in nature and we do them but you know we haven't thought about them and they don't really add value they just have to get done just that that simple conversation um, it it's surprising to me how how relatively rare it is that that a you know senior leadership team or a board has had that conversation.
1: But I think John, we're seeing a new generation of CEOs that are. It's the minority. But again, going back what changed 10 years ago today, we didn't have any 10 years ago. And I don't want to go by name in fairness or whatever. I'd like to, but I'm not. There's some really smart people out there that are kind of the I view the new generation CEOs that are asking, that are pushing, that are more innovative. always got a ways to go but man it's it's light years from where it was before so at least you know it's it's happening but i totally agree to you the majority aren't still right
4: yeah i mean it's just that it's it's never the priority of the day to stop and think about you know what's really core and critical to our business what's strategic what should we index on what should we let go of um but i'm i'm with you about um i often call it a of a generational sea change in, in thinking and leadership and it is a it is a sea change in the you know questioning why are we doing what we're doing and and, that, and and it's that that I think is going to you know as we get digital natives that are that are running companies in the global real estate space that are asking why why do we do it this way um, and I think that's really promising for you know as we play out the tape
1: into the next decade the other part and tell me about this up earlier I think a little bit but even, Dave, go back to your comments also. I think about prop tech and stuff that comes up. The environment that at which you step into and the level of complexity is so, the hurdles are so high. Like you look at the capital flow globally and you say, okay, I'm solving this problem, but in this region. And and the nuances of that, even though it's so funny we're investing this money and the market is in prop tech, some ways we're, we've stifled innovation in a way, right? Just the complexities of the market. I, I don't know. Yeah, well, the one thing that
2: we've, started seeing is the emergence of what's been hiding in plain sight. Um, if you think about the world of real estate, Excel is the system of choice for a large majority. So that means Microsoft and for many, many, many years, the way to communicate has been outlook, uh, but most of, I think the large majority of our clients have moved to the cloud, some version of Microsoft 365 and there's All of these tools out there that, um, really enable a a knowledge exchange, a better way of working. And then that's a, Tom, what you pointed out with the sort of the horizontal technology. Microsoft figured out a lot of this stuff. Most companies, when they license M365, they own it all. And we're starting to see people lean in there to pay attention to that and create a better way of working and a better way of harnessing knowledge, because Microsoft's done a lot in the last 10 years to to deal with that issue. And in many cases, that doesn't require new licenses. It requires the executives, like at the very top, to buy into that and lead that change. But, you know, that's that's some powerful stuff that's available there for everybody, in most cases right now.
3: And I think that's the thing that has really changed since March, uh, David. I, I... Absolutely believe that we're we're starting to move beyond a product to an experience. We're starting to move beyond a department to just cross functional talent, no matter where it sits. And these technologies are giving us access to it. Surprisingly, because of that, my email volume has gone down seventy five plus percent. I just don't get email anymore because we're connected in, in in different ways. And I have young children, and I I get I get um. Kind of like a itchy, or the hair in the back of my neck stands up when I, you know, check on their Chromebooks and there's something like you know, 87 unread messages. I'm like, there might be something really important. Your teacher wants you to read the email, and they're looking at me going, "Why would I read my email? It's all in my in my stream. It's all in my chat." They're having this reaction because they don't understand what my anxiety is. Hmm. And uh, you know, speaking of a generational kind of shift here. Um, you know, it's just been amazing to me. My my kids the other day wanted to show me a game they made, and I'm thinking, you know, maybe it's Legos. I don't know. Maybe they made a board game. Maybe they drew something. No, it was Scratch. They were on their computers making. I mean, and they're you know third graders. Nobody taught them. That's the next generation that's going to come into our workforce, and you know, hopefully by then I'll be out.
4: But they're not going to put up with rekeying something from one spreadsheet to another. <laughs>
3: They're not going to put up with, uh, you know, um, do you have the HDMI to mini connector to VGA so that I can project something onto the screen? I mean, the first 10 minutes of every meeting where we're trying to figure out, did you dial in? Did you not dial in? Are you on the right conference call? Hold on. Go on mute. There's an echo. Who's got the echo? Anyways.
2: (laughs) It is true. That's a grand experiment right now. There's lots of that happening.
1: Maybe we'll do the same panel in 10 years in rocking chairs somewhere. What do you think?
4: <laughs> exactly. Fumbling around with who's got the echo.
2: <laughs> Maybe our kids will do it for us.
1: Yeah. Actually, there you go. We got our kids on. it would be fascinating. They can talk about us at the same time. Um, we're near the end. So I just want, I had one parting question about why we do what we do, right? We're all on the advisory side. We, we, we all have been in this space for a while. All three of you have amazing reputations and your firm have amazing reputations, but what keeps us going? Why do we, why do, we do what we do? John, you want to start? Sure. Um, Thomas
4: said puzzle, or maybe you said puzzle. Thomas said Legos, you said puzzle. Um, I, you know, I, um, I think of it as uh, building things or fixing things, and I, I love to build things and fix things. In the real estate industry, I say this to a bunch of, of our clients. I've yet to meet the, the CEO or certainly founder of a real estate company who, you know, from the beginning dreams of having a world-class operation. <laughs> right. They dream of, um, you know, creating something that doesn't exist. And I, and I love being around those people. But, you know, I, I also I also love helping them uh, build a, a great operation. And, and as long as the personalities in real estate don't change and I, I can't imagine they're going to change. Um, you know it's been super rewarding to you know they, they they also don't hate money um so you know there's a there's something in it for showing them that there's real money to be gained or lost in, in how they run a business so i mean what what keeps driving me is you know there's there's so much wood to chop in in this regard in the real estate industry that i want to accomplish something um you know still right i, I feel like i've done a lot But it feels like there's so much more to do and, you know, maybe uh, I'm not going to write out my career having done it all, but, um, there's, 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 there's a lot that keeps me going. There's still a lot to do.
2: Dave, what would you say? Yeah, it's crazy. I've been now count the years. Now you don't like to hear the number 32 years of, uh, doing this. And, uh, I originally was going to do this for six months until I figured out what I really wanted to do after I was a fly fishing guide. Um, But I do it because it's a tremendous amount of fun. Real estate is very tangible. doesn't go away in a financial crisis. doesn't go away in a coronavirus crisis. Um, There's lots of problems get attached to it. Um, Uses change. Investors change. Customers change. But the problem set is expansive. And that means for four of us, there's lots of potential. And back to John's point about the kind of the characters involved. It's just a lot of fun building those relationships and playing a small part of somebody's success. And I'm going to do this for as long as I'm having fun. And I think it's a blast. And I've, I've found that I like to teach others along
1: the way. Cool. Thanks. Tana?
3: Well, the doing for me is, um, I feel like I'm you know part of this fraternity. And thank you for letting me be part of it a lens I try to offer um, to our industry that might be a little bit different, um, not not coming from the not being cut from the same cloth, if you will. I'm an immigrant. I'm a woman. I'm a minority. Those are not things that you normally see in our industry. Being part of a, a group like this, uh, looked up to as thought leaders, and and uh, being able to 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 contribute and and add value. Um, so I come to that with a true understanding of my privilege of having achieved that, but concurrently my responsibility to make sure that the next generation of women, of minorities, of immigrants, of whatever it is, um is supported the same um, opportunity that I have been. And and that is what I see as as my responsibility. And that is why I'm still here and I'm gonna to continue to be here. And I think it is a bit of what you said, Dave. I want to mentor, I want to create opportunities. I want to, you know, create more seats at the table and pull up chairs for others and open doors. So that's why I'm still here.
1: Well, I'm last. I would say I, I love the variety and complexity of the space and the way it morphs to your point, Dave. And it keeps me mentally engaged because I, you're always learning, Even if it's you could dedicate your whole life to an asset class and you, you're always learning. And of course, all of us have the advantage of crossing asset classes and it's such a fascinating space. And, the way that physical space and the use of that space influences human behavior and what it means and ingrained in different generations and different regions and culture and history and those things, you know, are fascinating to me. And the other one is just the the people, the characters, non-characters, the personality, folks like yourselves. You know, I wish I could have a conversation like this. This is the first for the four of us ever, I think, sort of talking, we should do this every week on a happy hour and and have these same things because I learned a whole bunch and some ideas that I hadn't heard before. So anyway, with that, I want to thank you all for your time. I I know our paths will cross again, so I'm excited about that. I really appreciate the time and the willingness to participate and uh, wish you all well. Thanks for pulling this together. Yeah, yeah thanks. It was a lot of fun.